A little technical difficulties can't keep a good podcast down. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode eight of Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast for Friday, October 20th, 2017. On today's show, we've got our blue brand breakdown, everything we didn't get to hit on segment two the other day, as well as a recasting of the WWE product. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to tell you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. Talking creative, the business aspects of professional wrestling, and of course, giving our unsolicited opinions. You can contact the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Drop us an email at hittingthemarks at gmail.com. And Rick recently launched our YouTube channel, which you can find by simply searching Hitting the Marks. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day, joined alongside my Huckleberry, RBV. Rick, welcome to your show. It's me, it's me, Rick Vickery here. And it feels oh so sweet uh, to be back again for a second show of the week. A lot has happened since we since we last hit the beat lab here, and I know that we've got a lot to talk about. Now, before we jump into all that, I wanted to offer up a, a bit of a, a PSA for all of our listeners, especially those in the, in the good old USA. You know, October, this entire month, it's National Pizza Month from coast to coast. Our great citizens, we celebrate their, our favorite slices of pie. However, it seems that in early November, the pizza craze will be heading north of the border. Have you heard about this, Yargo? What in the hell? A Canadian pizza? Canadian pizza? It, it's just like it'd be Canadian pizza. It's Impact Pizza. Impact Pizza. Impact Wrestling is uh, teaming up with a place, a restaurant called Crust and Crate. Uh, they're going to work together to kind of promote the upcoming Bound for Glory pay-per-view extravaganza. What are your initial thoughts here? My initial thought is you've got to be fucking kidding me. My second thought is I bet you that pizza is really salty. Well, here, here's some here's some details we got going on here. Actually, tomorrow, uh, Friday, October 20th, they're going to have a, a press conference that's going to include Impact Champion Eli Drake along with, I believe, Haley C. It's, I want to say Lashley or it could be. It'll be Moose. It looks like it's going to be last year. They're going to be there to launch to, to announce all the details. I guess what we're getting is a, a specialty pizza and some kind of mystery beverage. And that's going to run throughout the, throughout the first week of November from Bound from Glory itself through the tapings. I'm Let curious what's on an impact pizza. Well, let's see here. here this is part of the uh, most recent release here over at Uproxx. We don't know yet what topping will be on the Impact Pizza. Hopefully there will be plenty of rosemary for maximum flavor. Some spuds are a possibility since potatoes are secretly the rock star of pizza toppings. Some actual mousse would be on theme, but that seems unlikely even in Canada. Of course, it could be a complete surprise topping. It's going to show up on the Impact Zone Pizza. Maybe some... Georgia Gold Chicken from a newly released superstar who's under contract with another company. I, I don't know where we're kind of hitting there. I don't think Enzo's going to be going anywhere. He's the only one that I can relate with with the, with the Georgia Gold Chicken. Wow, so many, so many derogatory thoughts. <laughs> and, and, you know, my first thought, you know, they're having an after. This is going to be like the official after parties for all these impact things. That, it's just... I don't know. This is just reminding me of like 
WWE WrestleMania 34 had their official, you know, post party at like a BW3s or something along those lines. I don't know. I bet you you can fit 500 people into a Buffalo Wild Wings. And that would be if everybody that shows up for Bound for Glory goes to the post show. Now, I think they should be marking it as what caught mine initially jumped into my mind. I wouldn't mind digging into a slice of K.O. pie. Maybe, maybe a little uh, Gail Kim deep dish. <laughs> I'm very curious what's on a Canadian-style pizza. If anybody can find the radio ad promoting this, please, for the love of God, send it to me. I'm dying for it. We'll play it here on the show. I'm dying to hear what this sounds like. It's a very missed opportunity that Johnny Impact is not going to be there promoting the Impact Pizza. I'm very disappointed. I do expect the Impact Pizza comes with a donut. Well, I guess that wraps up our uh, our Impact Wrestling news of the week. And I don't believe we have anything else here on the run sheet. I got nothing. I got nothing. All right, from, uh, from Crust and Crate, I guess we'll head on to the Blue Brand. It's kind of a linear move at this point, isn't it? How did you rate SmackDown this week, Rick? I thought it was a good show. I'm going to give them a six and a half, seven. I was, I was, I was pleased with it. Unfortunately, the mass populace did not agree with you as SmackDown brought in a 1.62 rating on the USA Network. That's uh, live viewership and overnight DVR. Lowest since July 4th. Now, granted, they are up against the NBA opening night. There were a couple of big games going on there. And, of course, the Major League playoffs. Yankees are still in it, so the New York market is watching the Yankees. Do you kind of give them a pass on this rating, or is this something we really need to take note of? At this point, I think they've done everything they could. You know, they had some some hot lead-ins. You've got the hottest story in the company going on on the blue brand right now. So there was a lot of other good television on. I'm going to give them a pass on this one. I mean, when you lose the New York market, and, and make no mistake, that definitely plays into this. When you lose that New York market because they're watching the Yankees, you're going to see a dip in your rating without any question. Well, just just outside of that, you, you've got other some huge other market. You know, the Yankees are, are taking on Houston, which you're going to lose a monster chunk from down there in the Texas area. That's market number one and number four in the country, I believe. Uh, and what... And then the National League is Chicago and Los Angeles, which are markets two and three. And then, of course, here where, where I'm located, you had all of, you know, I don't know how it really stacks up compared to the other markets, but... Boston and Cleveland, more violence than SmackDown. Right. You've got Northern Ohio, then you're, you're dipping into that New England market. And then the other NBA game was Golden State and Houston, which is a pretty big game, too. Well, at that, at that point, SmackDown had been off the air. Oh, yeah, I guess it would have been. I guess it would have been because that didn't start until 9.30 my time. Yeah, SmackDown yeah that, was a, that was a 10.30 Eastern tip. So so I'd say you know, had a lot going on. It was cutting into a big chunk of the pie. So you got to give them a little pass here. And I think overall they went out there and still delivered a, a very solid program. For those curious, Raw was back to a 1.93, which means next week it should be a 1.97. They've been flip-flopping between 1.93 and 1.97 for the last five weeks now. Brock Lesnar will probably spike them. They might even hit it too. Uh, Tom Phillips missing in action on assignment. 
This is the first I'd heard of that. So we end up with the commentary team of Mitchell Cole, Corey, and Saxton. They say that Tom Phillips is on assignment. I find it very coincidental that SmackDown is on the day WWE 2K18 comes out. And guess what? Your commentary team on the game is Mitchell Cole, Corey, and Saxton. I don't think this was done on accident, do you? A little brand strategy there, a little marketing brand strategy. Did it change the feel of the show at all for you? It definitely did for me. Hearing Michael Cole call SmackDown just does not feel right. It almost felt like two more hours of Raw. I really haven't had a good feeling from the, from the commentary on SmackDown, even ever since they included Corey Graves there. I don't like yeah, Corey being on both shows. Yeah, I... And, not, and now you bring Michael on to both shows, and that brand split, especially going into Survivor Series, is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, so again, when you go back and try to remind us that there is actually, you know, some kind of competition between the two, or at least a distinction between the red and the blue, you know, this almost throws that right out the window. Aside from the commentary, we jump right into the show. Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, Daniel Bryan. Week two of Sami being a heel. Rick, how do you think he's doing? Hey, I'll tell you what. Sami out with a, with a different look and a little bounce in, a different little bounce in his step. I like the darker twist of the character here. You know, even in his promo, though, there, and instead of hammering home some, you know, reality-based comments, such as he did last week, you know, this, this opening felt more kayfabe-based to me. It was more as if he was actually blurring those lines between reality and K. You know, in my opinion, that is exactly what this entire business needs and what is going to make this program here on the Blue Brand, which is going to make this thing work so well. I felt bad for Daniel Bryan because we know that he can't do anything. That's the worst part of this. Like, it, it would hold so much more stock if there was some chance that we were going to see Brian wrestle again. Well, I, I think that's the, that's the point behind it. Yeah, I know that's the point behind it. It just sucks. It, I mean, it, it, worked, it worked so magnificently with, with Miz that you can kind of come out here and repeat this. It just almost felt depressing this week where it was just like, man, yeah. Yeah, remind us of how good Brian was. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. Well, and that had to be by design, or at least I hope it was. Hopefully they didn't just stumble upon that. Oh, no, that had to be by design. You know, because last week you had so many fans sympathizing with Sammy. Yeah. And saying, all right, is, should we be booing him right here? Now, this goes ahead and starts to solidify that. Now he's picking on someone that can't defend themselves here. So Brian takes everything from Kevin Owens and Sammy Zayn that they can possibly throw at him. He gets out of the ring, starts walking to the back, announces that he's going to go find a couple of guys to punch Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens in the mouth. I did like that line. I did pop for that. Yeah, I thought the, it was. An, I thought the entire segment went over well. Oh, and I thought the announcement of Randy Orton and Shinsuke Nakamura being the opponents was also well done, even though it was a different segment. But I also thought that was well done. Oh, yeah, they all tie in. And I especially like the, the cockiness that even opened that thing with, with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Uh, you, you can't find anybody that wants some of this. 
these people know how dangerous we are. And then to come back with those two big names, you know, it definitely got a pop out of the audience. Is it even worth talking about the main event tag match? I mean, it, it was a fine TV main event, but there's nothing behind Orton and Nakamura at this point. It was all furthering the Owens and Zayn storyline, which is fine. That's what it should have been. Right. That That's your focal point right now. You brought in some other star power to help boost some interest in that there. You know, it was a, a very solid TV main event. But like I said, it was all about KO and Zayn and what they have going on there with them moving forward. But, you know, I did get, as they kind of panned out to close that show, well, before they went back over to the BFFs, man, I got a weird vibe between Orton and Nakamura, and I got a feeling that we are going to see these two in a one-on-one against each other program coming up here very shortly. Does that do anything for you? Uh, a Orton versus Nakamura full-on program, does that do anything for you? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see these two mix it up. Uh, I think it'd be great for to close out the year. I wouldn't want to see it go any, you know, past Rumble or like that. I'd like to see them go in different directions for WrestleMania. It's good, it's going to give Nakamura another high profile, uh, competi- you know, program to be working in with with a great competitor. And as long as Orton wants to step up to the plate, he's going to be able to help Nakamura showcase what he can actually do in the ring. And we've yet to see that see that from him yet. Which one do you turn? Would you rather turn Orton or would you rather turn Nakamura? If you're going to turn one I, of them I, heel, I could see, I could see it, I could see it work in either case. But I think for where they're both at here within WWE, I, to me, I think the smarter the smarter money is on Orton, and plus I think he would pretty pretty much insist on that with creative. He wants to be the villain. He wants to play that role. That's when you're going to get the best out of him. I think it will be Orton, but I would rather see Nakamura. I would rather they turn Nakamura. How would you present that? I would present him very much like they present Kenny Omega over in Japan, where Omega only speaks English. He refuses to speak Japanese, even though he can. I would have Nakamura strictly speak Japanese, subtitle him, The only interviews you get are like sit-down interviews. And he goes back to being the King of Strong style. He tones down the the gimmick seizure thing a little bit. And he just comes out and starts kicking the shit out of people. Which is what they should have done with him to begin with. My only concern there is if if that approach would just fly over a WWE audience's head. That's my fear as well but at this is, point is that, at this point i think nakamura in general is flying over their head i was gonna say is that too much for them to to digest and i guess we're gonna find out here very shortly because it's kind of the act that oscar uses yeah a little bit a little bit and you know one little last thing on on this orton nakamura matter i did find it kind of interesting and i and i found it refreshing i haven't picked up on this before then when he came out you know they always refer to him as the artist or the rock star but Corey Graves did drop in. He is a combat artist. Ooh, I like that. 
So at least they're giving, at least there was a little bit of leeway there instead of the cheesy artist and rock star approach they usually try to present him as. I know on occasion when they put up the basically the tail of the tape graphic on the right mm-hmm. side of the screen, every once in a while they do put in there King of Strong Style. I don't know why they don't just call him that all the time. I mean, it's it's over. It's always been over. That's what we all still call him, those of us that had watched him in Japan and actually have an appreciation for Shinsuke Nakamura. It just comes down to one of those things that some in the company are bitter about and they want to change our train of thought and how we perceive him and they hope to achieve that over with repetitiveness over an extended amount of time. I just feel like Nakamura's fallen flat, and I never would have guessed that. Never would have guessed that. Jinder and Brock, I guess, is the other big story coming out of SmackDown. I love that Mitchell Cole even said, are you kidding me, when Jinder called out Brock Lesnar. Does this program do anything for anybody? I I don't even know how you begin to remotely think of how you book this program. Now this, this would take, you know, they're, they're doing a lot to, to push these guys, to really promote them. And I believe it's for two different reasons. You know, they're, they're really pushing gender that we jump on board and believe that he is the force. And on Brock on the other side where he had seemed to, you know, where he kind of peaked, where we knew he was showing everyone, where they put him in these underdog positions, but they're rebuilding him up to remind us, yes, he is that monster again for our eventual setup, we all suspect. But, I, you know what, the way Brock is, he's taken on many, many of impressive athletes, some giants, some just, some of the best that this business, that this company has to offer it's just going to be really unbelievable that Jinder's going to be able to get in there and have a strong outing with him. I just don't understand what they're doing. I mean, when you talk about the underdog story, number one, I think Jinder is actually bigger than Lesnar. I think Jinder is going to tower over Lesnar and make Lesnar look like the underdog somehow, but it's just a narrative that's not believable. Well, that's, yeah, because they've done nothing really with gender to make us believe, believe that as we do in Brock. The reason that Brock, that Brock, Brock, that Brock is one of the few and only that actually draw in this business is because we still believe in him. He's he is legit. still that combat competitor. Just think of how cool this story would have been if Nakamura would have won. You could have had Shinsuke Nakamura versus Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series. See, I don't, I don't think if, if it's either of these two, if it's not these two holding these titles, we're not getting this match champion versus champion. To me, this is, this is to hold over and keep gender safe until that India tour coming up. And let's see, he got Survivor Series against Brockett. That's not going to be a title defense. That's in a month. It'll actually be a month from tomorrow, the 20th. Then you have Jinder versus in India, which is in seven weeks, and his opponent there is Kevin Owens. I don't think anyone's expecting any kind of title changes over there. They're already advertising that he will be the first champion to defend his title on Indian soil. 
And then it looks like that we're going to get something going on with AJ Styles and Jinder Mahal. And that's probably going to be some filler here and there. And then that would leave us with the next big event being Clash of Champions. And that's all the way out on December 17th. So essentially two months from now. Is there any chance that they somehow book Jinder Mahal to win this match? Is there any chance of that? I would say there is no way in hell. Now, I say they, they could probably book it where he does not lose this match. But how there do you is book no way. this? Like, I don't even know how you begin to try to book this match without doing damage to one of your two champions. Outside of a Singh Brothers interference DQ, which we've seen however many matches Jinder Mahal has had. Well, you can go to a no contest either way. You can, you know, you can just do the, the cheap, usual route of him getting, getting DQ'd. Or, you know, I'll, I'll, I don't know what Brock's schedule is going forward, but just come to the top of my mind, you just have Braun come out there and beat the shit out of both of them after they've been battling it out for 10 minutes. I don't know. This is one of the more baffling programs and booking moves to me. I just don't understand this one at all. I don't understand why they need it to sell Survivor Series. But in the same breath, it is one of those intriguing matchups to follow how they're going to plan this out in the build and how they're actually going to execute the match. You brought up just a second ago, Jinder Mahal facing Kevin Owens in India. They are actually booking Jinder Mahal as a babyface in India. Like, do they just assume that the Indian people don't watch the regular show? I know, but but he presents himself as their champion. I mean, that the but he still presents himself as a douchebag. Period. But he's but he'll use those tactics. He can he can use you know how, how he gets by to win his matches as I have to survive because there they don't respect me. They 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 hate me because I'm different. They hate me because I'm one of you. Now I'm here with you. You people are going to give me the strength I need. We're going to do this on our soil together. It's interesting, man. I just I wish I could see that match. I wish I could see that match. And what I the only thing I find surprising here, and I know Kevin Owens is going to put get a great performance out of this. Owens is going to heal like a motherfucker over there. Are you kidding me? But what I really don't get about this is the gender character about you're against me because I'm different. That's why you don't like me. That's all been aimed towards the United States and the United States fan base. But they're sending over a Canadian to do the heel job. Yeah, it's a white guy. That's really what they're going after. It's a white guy. Man, I would have loved a kind of... They should have booked him against Baron Corbin, the United States champion. That would have been the smart booking. If you had any foresight, you would have, you would have left that damn title on the guy I was going to mention. Put him against AJ Styles over there. Mr. Heart of America down in Georgia, the United States champion coming over to Indian soil, or you know, India's land there, taking on their champion, the world champion. I just don't see even the Indian crowd booing AJ Styles. I, I think they will. I think it's going to be ravenous 
They're they're just gonna want whoever. I would either I would have put either Styles or Orton in that position. Orton would have been a good one too. Orton would have been a good one too. Oh, he would have he would have healed it up like crazy. Yeah. I mean that might that might have been he might have pulled off something taking us back to territory days where you heard how they had you know, security had to sneak sneak somebody. Have Orton act like he was even going to go for the punt to Jinder Mahal in India? Oh, man. Expect a full-scale riot. Oh, it would have been great. It would have been great. I will say, I got to say, this was by far the best Jinder Mahal has sounded on a microphone to me was this week. I thought Jinder actually knocked it out of the park this week. But he went to that million-dollar man promo, which is what we've been saying that the Jinder character should have been to begin with. I'm rich. Look at me. Look how awesome I am. Look at my cronies who I treat like shit. It's the Million Dollar Man promo. It's just the same brothers are Virgil. I like that. But it would even, and it would even set this, what even made this entire segment, great interview on his behalf, what set off the segment is something that we've also been talking about here for weeks. AJ Styles was given the spot in the moment that should have belonged to Nakamura all this time. How do you feel about AJ coming out during this promo? I was okay with it. See, and I felt like it should have been at least a week from now. I mean, AJ Styles just lost to Baron Corbin last week on SmackDown. He just lost the United States title literally a week ago, clean, in the middle of the ring. And now he wants to come out and... challenge for the world championship fuck off out of here back of the line gender was right you know i think that's what adds to this you know he's kind of rubbing his face oh you're not that impressive and, and that's fresh in our mind that he had lost that you know, but aj's not the kind of guy that sits around he wants to get back in that game so maybe that entire time that he held that u.s title you know he still had his eye on that ultimate prize i absolutely loved aj coming out and being like, did I hear you right? And Jinder's like, yeah, I'm calling out Brock Lesnar. And AJ's like, I don't care about that. Like, the hell with Brock Lesnar. I don't give a shit about that. You say you beat everybody on SmackDown that's worth anything? Well, I'm right here. You ain't beat me yet. Love that. And then I, what I love there, too, it just it didn't end with just that verbal exchange. Is that AJ was like, I- I'm going on the attack here. I'm going to show you how phenomenal I am. You want to fuck around? I'm going to punch your teeth down your throat. That's what the character of AJ Styles should be, period, to a T. That's your lead babyface right there. And again, how long have we been talking about that? How many times did they miss that opportunity with Nakamura? Instead of coming out with these you know, childish riddles and puns, he should have been out there doing it. He should have been out there kicking their ass. Not that I think this is in any way, shape, or form going to happen. But let's say that they book Jinder versus Brock. And then somehow, some way, AJ Styles would beat Jinder Mahal for the championship. I would love to see AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar. I would love to see that match. To the best of my knowledge, it's never happened. I would love to see that match. It might be garbage. It might be a terrible match, but I'd love to see it. I think you're going to have to hold your breath. I don't think there's any way we're getting that. Love Jinder volunteering the Singh brothers to fight AJ. 
I hope uh, this week it's going to be the one. Next week it'll be the other one. The following week it'll be the two of them. Put AJ on a real journey towards the title here. That's right. That's the that's the route I see them going here. They've got all these other things that can occupy to occupy gender. So gender can throw obstacles in front of Styles to prove that he is in his mind once again worthy of that WWE championship. You know, that almost that back of the line. All right, so he's gonna he's gonna beat everything that's thrown in front of him. And then come that big moment, December seventeenth, at Clash of Champions, then you make your switch. One thing I didn't understand about the gender and Daniel Bryan segment. Why was there a cameraman filming Daniel Bryan talking to somebody on the phone? Well, that just goes back to the mindset that Vince has that that we're not we're not supposed to know that that there is a cameraman backstage. It would be so much better if they were just like walking down the hallway and Jinder went walking up to a cameraman and said, hey, follow me. You're going to want to hear this. And then you do the exact same fucking skit. Because the skit was fine. It's just the setup is just so fucking lazy. No, that's the reason they do that. Because when you go backstage, you're not supposed to know they have a camera there. The talents aren't supposed to know that there's a camera going on there. That's why when they had the interviews... That after they're done, the, that the interviewer just stares off into space. That's an old soap opera thing that I've never understood. Well, the product would be so much better. Is we get back to when I was talking about how Sammy was kind of blurring those lines between reality and KFAB. So start using some common sense and blur those lines. Like you're saying, it would have made a whole lot more sense. Maybe not even if the, the, the ginger went right to the camera. No, no. He should send a Sing brother over to do it. Be like, hey, hey, come here, come here. We don't even need to see that part, but what we ha- what we could see, because you could pr- you can just put two and two together. All right, Jenner contacted the cameraman, said, "Follow me right now. I'm going to Daniel Bryan's office." Yeah, even if you shoot it from behind him and just follow them into the office. Yes, he should have been the lead in, and then they walk in and interrupt whatever he's Bryan's doing. You don't show us what Bryan's doing beforehand. They should have flipped the view there. Just little detail work like that that would make the show so much better. One thing I did catch last night that Jinder said, so I looked it up. Jinder is now at 150 days as of the recording of this episode. It'll be 151 by the time anybody hears it. In case you're curious, he would tie JBL at 280 days. On February 26th. Any chance Jinder holds this fucking thing all the way to WrestleMania to become the longest reigning SmackDown Live champion in history? You think they would acknowledge it that way? Since it's not, I mean, it's... Well, they make a big deal out of JBL being the longest reigning champion in SmackDown Live history. If they want to erase JBL from history... This is a good way to do it. I could see them doing it. I could see them holding this and having that in their mind, holding on to that. That If something goes sideways, this is what we're going with. Their, their precious idea that they, that they wanted to push him, that they need that market so much. Man, I, I just hope for, 
for a lot of the, the fans' sake out there, and I'm going to say pro- the vast majority of the fans, that they do not go in that direction. Well, we all thought he was going to lose it at fucking SummerSlam, right? I mean, we've been waiting for months. I, it, this is literally JBL's title reign all over again, where you're just waiting month to month. Is he going to lose the fucking title this month? No. Fuck. Okay, well, next month he's going to face so-and-so. He'll definitely lose it there. Fuck! And it just keeps going and going and going and going. And they talk about JBL was the longest reigning champion in SmackDown history. Yeah, look at the ratings. They weren't that great. Relative to Raw at the time period. Fuck off. Out of here. Let's get on with this already. It was a downtime. I'll, I'll admit now. It was a time when that I walked away. Oh, I've walked away from the product a couple of times. I, I was not entertained whatsoever by what was going on. I had other things going on in my life, and it just took not even a backseat. It got put in the trunk. Random you know, question. I, I, what brought I you follow back? follow up on your champions and things like that, but... Who brought you back? Actually, I, when I said it, I, this is when I walked away from WWE. And I think it's what really, it made me a better fan because I still wanted professional wrestling in my life. I still wanted the great drama and athleticism. So I went and found the indie circuit. God bless Ring of Honor. I'm talking, outside of Ring of Honor, I'm talking about Ohio Valley Wrestling, Heartland Wrestling Association, the Northern Wrestling Federation. Uh, Buckeye Pro Wrestling, anything that I could get my hands on that was not WWE programming, I was into. My first wife wasn't nearly as cool as my current wife. And when we got married, I basically quit watching the product. I Kind of like you, via social media, I just kind of keep an eye on it. Who's champ? What's going on? I'll watch WrestleMania. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where you keep your, your finger on the pulse. But then when I discovered CM Punk and Ring of Honor, that had my attention. And when he finally made it to WWE, I started watching WWE again. It was all about Punk. That fucking guy. Speaking of punks, let's talk about Baron Corbin a little bit. So you get Baron Corbin and Sin Cara. Last week on SmackDown Live... Baron Corbin pins the phenomenal AJ Styles in the middle of the ring, clean as you can pin somebody. And this week, he loses via countout to Sin Cara. Hold on, hold on. That is the, the perfect lead-in to my new segment, and this is a blatant ripoff. Sin Cara Watch 2017. Sin Cara, always late to the party as Hispanic Heritage Month ended four days ago. Back to you, Yargo. Fucking tremendous. I'll applaud that one. Season desist. Never do that again. This this was terrible here. I mean, what, what was going on? What the hell are they thinking? I mean, I like the Corbin promo. The open challenge is closed. I like that. He's a dick. That's in his character. But then why in the hell do they have him lose to Sin Cara via count out? 
What is the fucking point of that? I, I am not a fan of Corbin or where they've got him going in any way. I, I just haven't been able to buy into his character's direction. But I, I even going to come out and say, you know, this, this creative direction is complete bullshit. Don't 50-50 any of your freaking champions. Baron Corbin is still on my radar for one reason and one reason only. Because Baron Corbin is going to supply you with the best moment of the first quarter of 2018. Because in the Royal Rumble, Braun Strowman is going to come looking for Baron Corbin. Because who eliminated Braun Strowman in the Royal Rumble last year? Baron fucking Corbin. And they've kept him apart for a whole year. Braun's coming for his, and I can't wait. That's how you tell a story the right way, by the way. Natalia Charlotte feud. This is kind of like that first match for me, you know? I said I wasn't interested because I knew it was just the beginning of a longer story. This feels like we're in the middle of the longer story. I'm waiting for the payoff. I'm waiting for him to get some creative behind it that I can really invest in the story. Right now, they're just not there for me. You know that they tried to move it a little bit following the match. It, but everything that was going on here, I feel like a broken record when it comes to these women's divisions. It was constantly the same garbage booking. They continue to lump the entire division together. And as a fan, you can't become overly invested in any particular program they got going on. Yeah, can we just get the Charlotte and Natalia program? I don't need Lana and Tamina and Naomi and Becky. I just want Charlotte and Natalia. The problem here was you have the six-woman tag, and it was garbage because they had so much going on, and four of the competitors didn't belong involved. I legitimately watched five hours worth of content this morning as prep for the show. I watched SmackDown, I watched Lucha Underground, and I watched NXT. Let me tell you what I fast-forwarded through this match, because I just didn't care. Just didn't care. What you could have had here is essentially let Charlotte come out against, let's say, Lana, since she took the fall, in a one-on-one, showcase showcase Charlotte she gets her win and then do the quick attack with the chair to reinforce that she's going for that and actually I would have had Natalia had been successful instead of Charlotte fending her off here yeah but keep beating more, down the baby face keep beating her down you don't have to do yeah, it 50-50 beat her down but even, even before we got to that point where they're going to have their real interaction together I checked out because there was so much other garbage going on I didn't care about. And, and it, it kind of got me thinking back because I feel like this has been going on forever, but they have done it right here a few times, especially since this, this revolution, quote unquote, began, you know, revolution began. You know, I think back to, you know, they did it right with Nikki and Natalia. They did it right with Nikki and Carmella. And then they had a feud of the year in Charlotte versus Banks because they were the focal points. It wasn't about everyone else having to get their shit in. 
when the division gets their segment. Couldn't agree more with any of that. And I got nothing else to say about the women's division on SmackDown because right now it is just not good. It's just not good TV. And it's not because lack of talent or character. No, all those girls can work. Well, with the exception of Lana, I haven't seen that Lana can work yet. Well, and another thing with that, you know, Lana's, Lana serves a great purpose, and you need to focus on that, exploit that. Sex still sells, and she's a great character. And whoever the hell chose her ring attire, they need to be taken out back and just beaten with a fucking hose. You know who should beat them? The Bludgeon Brothers. We saw the vignette for the Bludgeon Brothers again. I, I did. I did. I'm still trying to just digest what's going on here with them. I'm not sure what in the hell is going on with these guys, other than they're two big dudes who carry around big hammers. And I, I don't feel the vignettes is doing them justice or is the it's, proper way to it's reintroduce too them. Too goddamn similar to the Wyatt family gimmick. It looks like it was shot in the same woods where the Wyatt family vignettes were filmed. Oh, shit, who knows? They might have shot them all the way back then and they just saved the footage and finally pulled the trigger on the gimmick for them. That wouldn't surprise me. I was surprised they actually let Rowan speak. Is that the first time we've ever heard Rowan speak? Oh, yeah, he's, he's spoken plenty of times. Has he? I guess I just remember, don't remember, remember that. Remember when he was like the uh, like mice and men, like genius or whatever like when they all a couple years ago like they all were on the opposite sides at the survivor series when it was cena's team versus the authority thankfully i smoke enough marijuana i must have killed that brain cell but yeah i, I right now it's i don't know the vignettes are working I, i'm not going to give up on what they got going with their gimmick i just think that since we already know these two it should have been a more of a forceful impact to re-debut them and I thought, you know, I thought that perfect time would have been last week when they had all the tag teams out there for that for that four corners match. But I think these guys should just show up and and just wreak havoc. Well, it's obvious that the Bludgeon Brothers' first feud is going to be against the Fashion Police. So we had Pulp Fashion this week. The Ascension have figured this out. They already know that Case Two B is the Bludgeon Brothers too. No, is that too obvious? Well, I think that's the, the joke, is the Ascension comes out week one, and they're like, this is the results of the case. And it takes Tyler and Fandango like a month to figure it out. I think that's the joke. Okay. Now, if, this is, if that is the payoff there, I know that you, you, love, you love what they've been doing here. And, it, and I'll admit, it has been entertaining. But, you know, this past week, I thought this was by far the worst Fashion Files that they've ever done. I thought the best part of this week's Fashion Files, in all honesty, was the fact that they had all the different pictures of John Cena up on the board, and they were labeled Mr. Pink, Mr. Blue, Mr. Green, Reservoir Dog style. I, yeah, enjoy the salt things, but overall, what's going on here, I don't know, the act is getting old to me. I mean, props to the guys for finding airtime. What I'm hoping this becomes is the Ascension 
versus the Bludgeon Brothers, not the Fashion Police versus the Bludgeon Brothers. I'm hoping the Ascension is going to take, that's take would, one for the team here. See, I thought that would be the direction they'd go on because it was almost so obvious when they had mentioned the Bludgeon Brothers that it would actually be the Ascension that ends up feuding with them. Typically, the Fashion Police are my favorite segment of the week because, as we all know, Tyler Breeze is my favorite wrestler. But this week, I have to give the segment of the week to Rusev Day versus The New Day. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. I didn't, I didn't enjoy the segment between them, and it looks like we're moving forward with something. You, you didn't like that segment? No, I did. I said I actually oh, enjoyed oh. it. And it looks like we're moving forward with something. It was a good setup. Yeah. I can see Aiden English and Rusev versus the New Day. I can get behind that. I'm all right with that. Yeah, that turns into one of those fun little undercard programs that they're not going to eat up a whole lot of time, but you're going to look forward to the interaction between the two sides each week. I need Rusev Day merch. I'm telling you, Rusev Day. All day, every day. Rick, happy Rusev Day. So, do you see this? This program is probably going to be where Rusev gets that big go-over moment. And then, and then we see the, the start, the vibe, the new day a little bit. And, and finally, I'm hoping that this is what turns Rusev babyface. If, if they're going to do comedy Rusev, at least turn him babyface out of it. And then at some point, we can go back to the Bulgarian brute. I, I almost hope with the new day antics that they don't go too overboard with the comedy bits. I got a feeling they're going to put him in some crazy situations. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I look forward to Rusev Day celebrations. I don't want, I just don't want some jackass and creative sitting back there thinking now they got a big muscular Santino on their hands. I must say I did pop pretty hard for Xavier Woods playing Rusev's theme on his trombone. I thought that was pretty fantastic. Oh, I thought, I thought that was great, too, but I I worried that Rusev was going to start dancing or something. I liked how he cut it off. And then I liked when English started singing, and Rusev's like, now's not the time for that. I, I like that. That, that, was, fantastic. that was pretty good contact there. Also, in the tag division, we have the Usos versus Benjamin and Gable. One thing I would like to point out here is we are talking about three tag team storylines. On SmackDown. Three of them. You know, we kind of questioned last week. Oh, were they, are they trying to rebuild this? Or was that match just, you know, some cheap creative to get a a new contender? It looks like they're diversifying. They got some they got some multi-layered stuff going on. So Usos versus Benjamin and Gable. Did you enjoy the promo back and forth between the two of them with Gable and Benjamin kind of stealing the Usos gimmick there? Yeah, I thought it was okay. I, I guess to be, com- to be completely honest with you, I, I kind of tuned out a little bit on it. It was one of those things where I didn't really have a problem with it, but it wasn't holding my attention. Gable has a lot of personality, and I'm starting to remember what I never liked about Shelton Benjamin. He just has no personality for me. He's one, he's one of those talents where, you know, it's about the bell to bell. You know, and even in the world's greatest tag team, it was always Haas that, that had the personality for the team. Rude versus Ziggler. That was a Hell in a Cell rematch. I mean, it's a program that's going on. 
Can we stop with the obnoxious scratch on Dolph Ziggler's music? Either have music or don't. But that terrible scratch has got to go away. Got to get their attention somehow, man. I, I agree with you, though. It's Maybe that's, you know, it, it's not one of those things where, oh, that's annoying that it works. It's like. No, that's just annoying. Yeah, it's like, this is just fucking stupid. All right, now you did pick up on something really interesting here. I found something in the commentary that was interesting that was far more interesting than the match itself. I really don't have anything to say about the match itself. The match is what it, you know. It is what it is. It is what it is. It's, uh, it's exchanging wins to prolong the program here. Corey made a comment that your legacy is defined by wins and losses. That's what makes Shawn Michaels the greatest of all time when talking about Dolph Ziggler. So I took it upon myself to look up Dolph Ziggler's win-loss record since he has been with the WWE. Dolph Ziggler has 662 wins, 26 draws, and 711 losses. To break that down by a percentage, he wins 47.32% of the time, has a draw 1.86% of the time, and loses 50.82% 50.82% of the time. 50-50 booking exemplified. And people wonder what's wrong with Dolph Ziggler. 662 wins, 711 losses, 26 draws, 50-50 booking. And this guy's a former world fucking champion. And you look at those numbers too, you got to give him credit, man. What a workhorse. Yeah, I know, right? Especially when you compare it to HBKs, because I wanted to have a comparison. Before, before you read these out here, I just want to reiterate to everybody, you've heard Dolph's numbers. He is a workhorse. Now, Sean is regarded as one of the greatest in-ring performers of all time. Wait till you hear these numbers in comparison to, to Dolph's. 397 wins. 151 losses. 44 draws that breaks down to a 67% winning percentage, 25.51 losing percentage, 7.43 draw percentage. Thanks Vince Russo for that one. So Dolph Ziggler has 662 wins. Shawn Michaels greatest of all time, 397. Sitting here at my desk, so I've got my uh, calculator handy. I just grabbed that. Total matches. Dolph has wrestled in 807 more matches than Shawn Michaels. That's a crazy number. That's a crazy number. Now, here's what really stood out to me about, about them even making a comment and bringing this up. In a WWE universe dominated by 50-50 booking... You know, what employees, you know, backstage thought it was a good idea to bring this up. I mean, what's the logic there? When, they, when, they've had, when they've had people come out openly and say, oh, we don't care. Nothing around here in our strategies, our creative, nothing around revolves around wins and losses. Evidently it does. Evidently it does. God, those numbers are just astounding to me. 47.32 versus 50.82. 50-50 booking. 
just ridiculous. Versus Shawn Michaels, who has won in almost 70% of his matches. No wonder Shawn got over and Ziggler isn't. It's how you create stars. The only other thing of note on SmackDown this week, at the end of the show, we found out that next week, Shane O'Mac is going to be back in the house. Rick, are you excited to see Shane return to TV? I do what I'm usually on the side of last of any McMahon is good for programming. But I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing a different tune this week. It's the hottest storyline going in the company right now. I'm intrigued, and I'm hooked for next week. I want to see where they continue to go with not so much Shane, but the evolution of our new best friend duo, or our new old best friend duo, in Sammy and KO. It, I'll tell you what, the return of Shane to get involved again here, it has me a hell of a lot more intrigued than Barack and Heyman showing up on Raw next week to answer gender. I thought it was kind of a weird ending to the show. When Owens and Zane go walk into the back, they go through the curtain, and then they shoot the scene with Brian, where Brian tells them Shane's coming back. And then... Owens and Zane come back out on the stage. Did it just seem like they had like an extra minute and a half of TV that they had to fill? So they sent them back out there. Is that, I, took that, I took those two things. They, they really didn't like what Brian had, had said that Shane's coming back and ultimately it is Shane's show. So I took maybe them going back out to the crowd, making that last stance to let everyone know, Hey, this is our show. We took him out. We're in control now. We're together. And then is also when they did that, that's when I got that weird vibe coming out of Nakamura and Orton. and Orton. Yeah. So I took it two different ways. Is, is one team was establishing, hey, we're, we're, not, we're not worried. This is our ground. We're going in the direction. We are taking what we want from here on out. And then they silently gave a teaser to maybe something else. So, which do you think is the better show right now, Rick? Do you think SmackDown is still the better show, or has Raw caught up and surpassed SmackDown at this point for you? In these last two weeks, I'm going to have to say that, that I've enjoyed SmackDown much more than I have Raw. But if, if, we're, if we're talking since SummerSlam, our last big event, then I think Raw you know, has the edge there. Interesting. I'm 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 more of a SmackDown fan. I always have been more of a SmackDown fan. I just think there's something about the two hour format that's much easier to digest than the three hour raw format. I'm just not feeling the shield reunion and I'm I'm still hesitant about this Owens and Zane thing, but I think I have some kind of an idea of where it's going. And if it ends up with babyface Kevin Owens I'm absolutely okay with it because I think if anybody is going to move the numbers right now, it's going to be Kevin Owens. I say that watching his ROH run. I know he can get people behind him. And I would say the biggest difference for me right now is I am interested in the main program that's moving the blue brand. And as you said, I'm, I haven't been able to really get hyped 
They're invested in what's going over on Raw with the Shield reunion. So we got a little bit of other WWE news that I wanted to fit into segment one here. Uh, three people that have recently left the company in one form or another. Neville, Aries, and Nia Jax. Uh, we made the comment when we first heard about the Nia Jax news on episode 7.5. Neither Rick or I bought into it. It has now come out that Nia Jax has been granted a leave of absence from the company. She is expected back. Sounds like she's just dealing with some personal issues. Hopefully she gets back soon. I felt like Nia was finally starting to get a little bit of momentum. Like she was maybe kind of finally starting to find her groove. And it seems that's not the case. Well, the personal issues are going, they're kind of tying to the same reason that Neville is left too, right? That she's not really happy with her pay scale. I have not heard creatively. I have not heard any of that. I've heard a lot of it speculated about, but I haven't heard anything from anybody that I would consider a reputable source on it yet. That's just my personal opinion. All I know and all I can report is she has taken a leave of absence from the company, but is expected back. Well, get, let's get some uh, Neville check on here. I'm going to pull up something here and see if we can find something. I'm going to head on over to our friends here at WrestleZone. I know they've got something up in their headlines about this. Well, it seems as though Neville is on his way to Japan. Like, basically, everything except the paperwork is signed. It sure sounds like we're going to get the return of Pac to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Is that kind of what you're hearing as well? Oh, I, I think, you know, it's just a matter of time there. And when you look at his situation, how can you not understand his frustrations with the WWE? Well, yeah, and we were looking for a bit of a timeline of events when it came to Neville, and, and I'm going to lump Austin Aries into this too because Austin Aries walked away, and I think it was for very much the same reason. When... Neville walked away. Aries put up a tweet that simply says, know when to walk away from anyone or anything that doesn't value you. Self-worth is never determined by others. What I did not know, and I'm not sure if you were aware of this, this goes all the way back to the WrestleMania match that they had that was on the pre-show. It seems like that's where tensions really started to go up. Neither Aries or Neville are receiving any royalties from WrestleMania because they weren't on WrestleMania. They were on the pre-show. So they're not on the Blu-ray release. They're not on the DVD release. They're not featured in IMDb as a credit. They're not getting the number of house shows that the main roster is getting. 205 Live is basically Monday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. They're not running the house show circuit. That's a lot of merchandise money lost. Appearance fees lost. These guys are getting fucked. Yeah, when you start messing with someone's financials, and you're messing with their livelihood. These guys are getting fucked on 205 Live. If you're going to treat them like a talent, then treat them like a talent. Hashtag, give cruiserweights a chance. Well, you know... It- in the cases of Neville and Aries, 
one of the problems here is that they're being restricted to this. And I'm sorry. Now, when you have guys like Zane and Finn Balor competing in your heavyweight division, I can see where he'd be pissed off. I can see where he'd be pissed off. Absolutely. He's every bit the performer, and he's got the better physique. And honestly, from what we've seen as the king of the cruiserweights, I think he's shown more character to this point than either of those two have. Who do you see having a higher upside, Austin Aries or Pac, Neville, whatever you want to call him? On the independent circuit. When it comes to the independent scene. Well, I think right now, you know, the sky's the limit for, for Neville. I think Neville goes think right, back to right New now Japan. He's in, such, he's in such better shape. I think Neville goes to New Japan. I'm guessing if Austin Aries is going to jump on a regular gig, I'm guessing it's going to be Ring of Honor. And I don't think that he'll go for a regular gig. I think he's probably going to like enjoying his schedule. He's probably going to try to move into some Hollywood-based gigs. He's going to try to get himself out there. Austin Aries says... The upcoming six weeks of bingo hall money is greater than the last four months of big league money. Awesome to see the pro wrestling scene thriving around the world. That, I believe, is probably the case with Austin Aries because of all the things that we just talked about. However, maybe, he's out there, maybe he's out there actually playing bingo. However, there's a lot of money to be had. My, my grandmother made a lot of money running bingo halls. Penny slots, baby, penny slots. I think that's probably the case for Austin Aries that the next six weeks of bingo hall money is going to be better than his last four months of big league money. Is it going to be that case in six months when the WWE rub wears off of Austin Aries? Well, I, you know, he's already been established out there. It's not like he got some grand rub from being with the company. He was only there for, you know, a drink of coffee. Still opened him up to a lot more casual fans than had ever seen him before. That's just a fact. But still, his money is going back to where that to the fan bases that really know him. You know, your Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling. I saw the Young Bucks already uh, tweeted a Bullet Club shirt at Neville. You think that happens? Hey, there there could be. They could they can make quite a bit of noise in Impact Wrestling. Have a program around their their world championship involving Johnny Impact and Austin Aries. I just can't imagine Aries going back to that place, regardless of how many times it's changed me. Hey man, since then. if it's if it's a quick payday, if it's a quick payday. That's true. Cody did it. Yeah. So on this Nia front, yeah, there's some a bunch of rumors swirling around. The only things that have really been confirmed here. Uh, sources, WWE sources have confirmed that Jax has not quit the company. Uh, Jax was not at the Raw tapings this past Monday night, even though she was originally slated to be there. One source says that the original plan at TLC was to have Sasha Banks take on Nia Jax. Yeah, Jersey Fox. Mike was telling me about that the other night. Uh, Jax is no longer scheduled to film material for the new season of Total Divas in New York. And the root cause of why Jax is not on the road for WWE and Total Divas has yet to be revealed. Interesting. 
Man, you know what? This, this bums me out right now. I never attack a talent, but man, I was going to go on a freaking rant today. I went, I will hold my tongue. I will save my notes on this. But I will say that I'm happy to see Foxy getting the opportunity at TLC in that place that was spotted for Naya. I mean, I'll take them Foxy legs over Naya any day, any day. Spice on Sundays. Any day that ends in Y, brother. Marty Skrull also reached out to Neville, let him know that he could use a tag partner for World Tag League. Wouldn't mind seeing that. There's a lot to work out, though. A lot a lot to work out between the two sides before he's going to get that full release. I, even if he was granted his full release, I would still expect uh, no compete for... You probably have your standard 90-day. Unless they really get strict on holding for the remainder of his deal. Another talent recently wished best of luck in his future endeavors, Mr. Jimmy Jacobs, appeared at Global Wars for Ring of Honor here over the weekend. He shared a real nice moment with the Bullet Club. Did you get a chance to see this? I, I've, I've been following this story. <laughs> and I'll tell you from... From the get-go when this broke, that he was released because of the initial photo and tweet that went out. And from the get-go, this situation has reminded me of what went on with Titus O'Neil. It just seems like, you know, management getting a wild hair up their ass and then making an unfair example of an employee. You know, as there's like these some grand standards that they have to enforce every now and then. But then they just look the other way when you see their employees interacting with, with other outside talents. Well, from what I have heard, and of course none of this is confirmed, from what I have heard, Jimmy was already kind of on the shit list. Jimmy was already having some issues backstage. This is kind of a straw that broke the camel's back sort of thing. That said, yeah, it seems incredibly petty, but on the other hand, you can't fucking do that, dude. You just can't do that. Could you imagine what would have happened if Kevin Nash and Scott Hall came outside of Monday Nitro and posed for a picture with DX? Bischoff would have fired him on the fucking spot. And he should have fired him on the fucking spot. Mm, no, I don't think that would have happened. I do. 
I, I, I do. I, I think that's a I think that's a bad example that you laid out. I see what you're I see where you're sh- where you're shooting at, but you're hitting the mark. You're not hitting the mark. You're missing the mark. There's no way that he ever done so. those guys ran that place. I just can't imagine. I mean, there there is still something that is the process of business, and there's a way that you conduct yourself when it comes to business. You don't pose for the rival company's talent and then tag WWE in it. That was the place that he really fucked up. If he just would have posted this and left it at that, fine. But when you're hashtagging Bullet Club Invasion, hashtag Raw, at WWE, you can't do that shit, man. And and he yeah. knows better. I'm, I'm still just curious if the story ever really made it to Vince, if he ever really paid attention to it. This just seems like something. This is something that would get nipped in the bud before it ever got to him. I think it was a work. I think I think Jimmy Jacobs worked the company. I think Jacobs was unhappy. He was ready to get the fuck out of there. He knew that he was going to get fired and that his contract wasn't going to be renewed. And he, he just found his way break. out. Yep. And he and he's already taking indie dates and turn it into turn it into a profit. Yep. Instead of a loss. He knows the Young Bucks very, very well. Because, I mean, they are spinning this thing and making WWE just look terrible. Now, granted, it is terrible, but they're really exposing it. That's all I got for uh, WWE talk for segment one. You got anything else that you wanted to say about the blue brand this week? I mean, I'm good. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about what we got coming up here in segment two. I think it's going to be uh, a good little listen. I hope everyone enjoys it. I think this is going to be fun. We're going to recast all of the WWE shows right after this musical break. We'll be right back with segment two. Stick around. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought this was America. Shut down in Austin. Waited back in Cleveland. I got up in our faces and they never on the wall, all the politics are fake. Yeah, it's clear to me we living in a seven PS deep, and we haven't left the heights. The whole city's gone corrupt, the rain enough to make you right. Wish the music would be more like the boats on the shore. More rust, less metal, put the pedal to the floor. Let them crops grow deep in the pothole streets in the rock and roll city on the stop on the beat. Got my paranoid stress. Why don't you put me to the test? I know a street Burned out in Compton God bless America and fuck Dennis Rodman Working man's in prison while celebrities escape Oh my God, so much bigger than a Debbie had a job, but now all she does is crack She collect her welfare check and yet she drives a Cadillac Just perpetuating more of that choosing to afford Whether rich or whether poor, sometimes it's what you said aboard But it's gotta come cheap when there's just enough to eat in the wheels of the Your teeth, it's a hard life. 
the cash go I think we all know Straight into technology Tracking you on your cell phones They'll break you down But you'll give them the tools Now they're taxing your paychecks And taking music out of public school Better give your shoes tied tight on the east side Smoke a bun, take a walk and dump on the police ride Never but you seem like a regular day Got your hustle on but you don't get paid These not enough so you better make a change End up getting busted with your face on the front page Now the money on the better in your safe But it's more than even better in the first place It's society's mistake How macabre we've been living in a Always say Another privileged youth Who somehow thought he could hang He got covered in tattoos And goes and joins a biker gang And refusing to conform Has become part of the norm Better come original And then you might weather the storm But the talk comes cheap When it got some beef And I bet that silver spoon And keeps your rules of the street Hope you got your peace When the shit gets deep Think you're smart, right? That was the Trapadelic, their song Police State, off the album Police State. Take it in the street. They're from Cleveland. You should check them out. They're on tour with 311 right now. Saw them last night. They were awesome. Cleveland, what a shithole. Yeah. Losing baseball teams come from Cleveland. Nah, you know what? They, they figured they just achieved enough this year that they would just, you know, let, the, let, let those young Yankees go on, have a little glory for their own, you know, just... It's, it's probably so hard being part of that organization when you're so young. All those great names you got to live up to. So, you know, I think it was just a, it was a gesture of kindness. Baby Bombers up three games to two on the hated Houston Astros. Astros, assholes, whatever they are. Uh, that's, hey, that's, that's a mighty big task they got ahead of them to go down to Houston. I mean, you need, I know you just need one, but to go down there and get that out of, out of a two game. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Baseball playoffs are something to behold. So, a couple of weeks ago, you had this idea, Rick, that you wanted to recast the show. We've come to the conclusion that there is a lot of people miscast on this show, people just playing on the wrong shows. I think what what it started from, it wasn't so much where they were placed on each brand, but just how the character was cast. You know, if the role that they were put into, if they were a baby, a hue, if they were kind of floating in the middle... And what we started there, that bud just blossomed into this entire idea that we're about to run out. So in 2002, when Paul Heyman was writing SmackDown, he had this thing called the SmackDown 6. And the SmackDown 6 were basically who he built the show around. And as long as there were stories for these six guys, he was going to have an entertaining show. This was when they first split the rosters with Raw and SmackDown. If you go back and you look on the network, the SmackDown 6 were Eddie Guerrero, Kurt Angle, Edge, Chris Benoit, Rey Mysterio, Chavo Guerrero. They were the centerpieces of the blue brand. So we decided we were going to recast the show. We're going to do six for SmackDown, eight for Monday Night Raw, four for 205 Live, and then who we would consider the top five women 
And I think to go back a little bit when you were you know, talking about the SmackDown 6, it really is an old concept in professional wrestling, especially you know going back to the territory days where you had your staples, you had those mainstays that you were building your territories around. They were the names that made you money. And then you kind of had people filtering filtering in and out that were you know, moving through that would come in that you'd put them over, you'd build them up, and then your staples, your foundation would take them out. It, it was just a formula. It was how you ran the business. It was how money was made. And I really think that all went out the window when you insert one Mr. Vince Russo who had the notion that every person on the roster must be involved in something and must have something going on. Well, and that was also kind of at the force of hand from Nitro. Vince was forced to do a lot of things that he wouldn't normally do in that era. And trusting in Vince Russo and just throwing out matches that typically would be saved for pay-per-views and doing title changes. And that all became part of the business right around the time of the Attitude Era. This is kind of that old throwback. So, Rick, who would you make your SmackDown 6? Well, I've had a little bit of a shakeup in my SmackDown 6. Uh, but we're we're going to work through it here. I've got, I've got a replacement for one of these slots here. Uh, but in no particular order, I'll start going through them. I'm going to have Finn Balor as one of the, the lead figures on my blue brand. As everyone knows, I am not personally a Balor fan. But damn, I got enough business sense to realize that people love this guy. There's money in Finn. There is money to be there. And I'm going to jump on that bandwagon there with the SmackDown. Also joining uh, Finn is Nakamura, Cesaro, most likely build those three as, as typically as my babies, but anyone can kind of interchange there. I also have Samoa Joe, Bobby Roode, and in that sixth spot, I had Neville, but it looks like he is... On his way out, he wants that departure. He might be heading overseas or back to the indie scene. But I always, in each of these scenarios, I had someone waiting in the wings, and this is the opportunity that that he's been waiting for to jump right on there, and I'm going to go with the hottest names from NXT and Adam Cole. All right, so you got Balor, Nakamura, Cesaro, Joe, Rude, and Adam Cole. And Adam Cole. Balor, Nakamura, Cesaro are going to be your baby faces. Joe, Rude, and Cole, I assume, are going to be your heels. They would, they would be, for the most part. You know, you're always going to have to, sh- you know, shake things up here and there. You're going to have to play with that crowd reaction. But going into this, I would look at Balor, Nak, Cesaro. Those are going to be the ones that I believe that the crowd's going to take to. And on the flip side of that, I want. Joe, Rude, and Cole just building that heat, baby. Interesting. So you, who, I assume you would make Balor your lead baby face on the blue brand? I would, I would say for the most part, I think he's, I think there's most value with him in that position. But with that, I, I could see either way where you could shift Nakamura or Cesaro right up into that. And I think that, that we've just, we really haven't seen everything that Cesaro brings to the table. So I give him a real opportunity there to really step out from 
that stigma of being a great tag team wrestler or that he can't connect with the crowd individually and just give him that, that shot to, to shine there. Yeah, you've got some real diversity, man. This would be a very hard-hitting show with Joe Root and Cole. I mean, you've got the monster heel, you've got the cocky heel, and you've got the chicken chick heel. And a, and a lot to me, since the original brand split, there's always been that different feel or dynamic between the red band and the blue brand. Where Raw is more seems more about that sports entertainment aspect, more storyline driven, or maybe where they're more complex, there's more layers to them. SmackDown's more about bell to bell and some simple storytelling. I very much booked my show the same way. My SmackDown six are going to be AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura, Rusev, Big E, and then I pulled out a couple of wild cards. Pete fucking Dunn sells tickets, son. Thank you, Mr. McIver, for that one. I didn't put Mr. Pete Dunn on SmackDown. I would also put Kenny Omega on SmackDown when he inevitably signs with the WWE. So I have Styles, Nakamura, Omega, Rusev, Biggie, and Pete Dunn. That's going to be my wrestling show. Now, interesting here, I, you know, I, I'm going to utilize all those names that you had, but you know, comparing our how we would build our SmackDown six. You know, some different names, but very similar talents and characters to fill those roles. I, uh, when we get into Raw and 205, I have uh, some of your names on different shows as well. So I think I'm, we're both recognizing the, the top-tier talents that they have with, within the company. Yep. The complete structure. We just, we just disagree on necessarily where they would be on the show. Interesting. So just to recap, Rick has Balor, Nakamura, Cesaro, Joe, Rude, and Cole. I'm taking Styles, Nakamura, Omega, Rusev, Biggie Langston, and Pete Dunne. Both of those are good shows. I could invest in either of those shows. My next up, since I knew that you had done that, would be American Alpha and The Revival. I would put both of those tag teams, number one, I would put American Alpha back together, and I would put both of those tag teams on SmackDown. If you haven't seen the matches that they had against each other in NXT, and you wonder why they're on the wrestling show, go back and watch those matches, because holy shit, are you in for a treat. Now, would you try to weigh one show heavy with the tag division, or try to balance those out? You know, I would kind of try to balance it out, but I think I would definitely put the emphasis on the SmackDown tag division. To me, tag team wrestling is an art that is stories told in the ring. I had kind of envisioned that as well, where whatever direction I would go with my SmackDown Live brand would have the better tag division. But on the flip side... You put the women on Raw. The women would head to Raw. That would be your superior division. Yep, agreed. So let's move on to Raw. 
I'll start this one since you took SmackDown. All right. My Raw 8 are Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre, Braun Strowman, Kevin Owens, The Miz, Bray Wyatt, Seth Rollins, and Baron Corbin. That's my Raw 8. Okay, so we've got some different ones here going through. Well, diversity is um, a wonderful thing. Now, see here, I have Roman Reigns, the top dog. You have AJ Styles on your blue brand. I have him on Raw. That's me. I know he fits that mold we just talked about for SmackDown. But to me, with him getting up there in age, I want to put him more into a show that I feel has a bit more... You can protect that, him a little bit more. You protect him a little bit more, that, that general audience star power on Raw. Save the bump card. I, I feel that maybe he's... He, I'm going to put him kind of like in my Shawn Michaels role there. I could see uh, it. Also, also over there, I have Rusev, who you had on, on SmackDown. And the reason Rusev there, I, 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 feel he just, I, I like that ruggedness of him. And, and it, it screams Raw to me. Kevin Owens, I have him on Raw, who I know is an awesome in-ring performer, but I believe his character work and what he can bring storytelling-wise is going to work better for my sports entertainment show. I have Seth Rollins. Almost the same reasons, uh, kind of a combination of, of the reasons that I placed AJ and Owens on this show. The rest, I think, are obvious, but how would you cast Rollins? Would you cast him as a baby face or would you cast him as a heel? Which way do what? you like him better? I, th- I think obviously his heel work from a character standpoint is much is much better. I agree. I, I, I prefer face. Seth as a heel. He's just got that dirty slime ball dirt bag kind of thing to him. Yeah, he's got that look where he's always up to something. Uh, also going with there, these are these are probably pretty obvious. You know, the Miz, who is Mr. Showman for the entire company. Uh, then it's going with some big men there. I'm sticking with Braun over on that show. I mean, he's he's really getting himself a niche there. You almost feel like that. You know, he seriously is one of those staples overall. That if he left, that it would almost tear the damn thing down. And then I got Big E in there to give him an opportunity to start shining as a singles. I think it's interesting that we both put Big E on different shows, but we both value Big E to the point that we would consider him in the top 15, 20 people in the company. And I I think, you know, from that big man to even his athleticism, that's been clear, damn clear since his NXT days. But now he's reminding everyone again of the character work that, that he can put out there. And it's not necessarily that he has to be that exact character that we're seeing in New Day, but that he is able to present himself as something there. I want to see the next evolution of Big E. I I think I'm ready for the next evolution of Big E, whatever it is. It's obviously going to be a heel to begin with. So is that going to be like his next DVD, the big evolution of Big E? (laughs) Now, for, for my next up for Raw... I have, of course, Tyler Breeze. He's young enough that he can he can be on the back burner for right now. He can be mid-card talent, putting over the eight. 
I also have Bobby Roode on there. I think Bobby Roode has reached his ceiling. As much as we talk about AJ Styles makes you better, I'm starting to feel like Dolph Ziggler just makes you worse. He just puts a limit on you. If you lose to Dolph Ziggler with the narrative knowing that Ziggler is 50-50 as it gets, I feel like you're just restricted to that mid-card hell. So you almost, it's almost like saying where, where they have positioned Ziggler now in this company after all these years, and he's just got, he's got that stank on him. It's like getting, he's the skunk running around WWE. He hits you with that, with that stank, and you get, you're going to be scrubbing for a while. I had get higher hopes for Bobby Roode. I had much higher hopes for Bobby Roode, and I just feel like he's going to be stuck in the mid card. He's going to be the guy that takes over Sami Zayn's spot. That guy on the mid card that when you come in as a heel, you feud with Bobby Roode. He's going to be your first babyface opponent. Just like when you come in as a babyface, you go up against Ziggler. Kind of that gatekeeper role. Well, here was with Rolf, just one last thing for me on here. My waiting in the wings. I know you've already got him uh, occupied in the company, but I, when he does sign, I think Kenny Omega kind of fits that raw feeling that, that I want the brand to represent. I think Kenny Omega fits wherever you want to put Kenny Omega. As long as you let him be Kenny Omega. That'll be the trick. He has, he has to be what he's worked so hard to build up over the course of his career. I do find it interesting that when it comes to raw, we have, five of the same talents. The ones that we're different on are AJ, Rusev, and Big E, who I all have on SmackDown. Which way do you take Rusev on your show? If you're going to put him on the character show, do you go back to the big brute character Rusev, or do you go with this over-the-top Rusev Day character? I, I, I can see a blend in there. I can see where we, you know, he wants all these accolades, and he wants things brought to him. You know, he is a pompous jackass, but then he can seriously get down to business. I, I want to blend of those things there. I like Rusev Day. I like Rusev Day. Let's go to the women, because I think 205 Live is going to be very, very interesting. So let's go to the women. I ranked the women as, as far as who I would write storylines first. Asuka, Sasha, Charlotte, Kari Sane, Ember Moon. Those are my five women that I would build my new women's division around. Who do you put in those five spots? Mine's pretty simple. And I'm, I'm going to kind of balance them out where I need. But my number one, I'm going to build around the horsewomen. Just not to confuse any of you out there, the real horsewomen the wrestling version of the horsewomen. With so one Sasha, slight, Bailey. One slight shakeup. Obviously Charlotte, my Char Char right at the top. Lynch, Banks. And I'm going to swap in Blanchard for Bailey. Bailey will be replaced. Harsh. She still has a she still has a spot in programming for me. She can be one of those great babies that feuds with 
These horsewomen, she still has a spot, but I'm going to have that one shake up and get another second generation horse person in there. Uh, then also, then Oscar, you, you, you can't not utilize such a such a great talent. Oscar to me is number one. She is priority number one. Jersey Mike asked me last night, what happens if Emma beats Asuka? Number one, that's not going to happen. Number two, if it does happen, just send her back to Japan. Her career is over. Do you agree with me on that statement? Oh, 100%. You know, not, I'm not so much interested in what happens at TLC during the debut, but there's going to be a lot at stake in these first couple of months with how they handle her creatively. It's going to be make or break, I believe. I am just afraid that we're going to be on here bitching about how they're using Asuka in two weeks. Terrified. I'm, I'm really, I'm going to say to hold out the report, the report card until the rumble. And then we'll really be able to say, okay, they have no idea what they're doing here or there's hope. So let's move to 205 Live. I think this is probably the most interesting of categories, at least on my show. Who do you put on 205 Live? Who are your top four? I don't have any in any order, and I, and I had six from our original conversation. So is it okay if I list what I have here for my Cruiserweight six? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sticking with the star power that they have right now, Enzo. He's got that. He's got that WWE star power. Now, I also I want to bring in some some more. I want to bring in some more star power, some more characters, but some guys that can absolutely go inside the ring. I'm start with uh, from NXT, Aleister Black. I'm gonna have your boy Breeze, that fat ass, lose seven pounds to make the cruiserweight division. That fat fuck. An outside name that is that is rumored, heavily rumored to be on his way to WWE, Ricochet. One of the most popular superstars in, in NXT and in, in independent wrestling. Johnny Wrestling, Johnny Gargano. And then I'm gonna I'm gonna say we're where you got him elsewhere selling tickets. Some we're going to be selling tickets at 205 through Pete Dunn. How big is Pete Dunn? Is he really under 205 pounds? I think he's right at the mark. Really? God, he looks much bigger than that in person. Well, it's just that build he's got. You know, he's got that stocky. Oh, he's built like a brick fucking shit house. 5'10", 205 pounds. Wow. That guy is a wrecking ball. Holy shit. If you haven't seen Pete Dunne versus Tyler Bate, I can tell you right now that's going to be my WWE match of the year. I'm kind of partial because I was in the building. But holy shit did those guys tear that place down. NXT TakeOver Chicago. Wow. Great match. Great match. So you've got Enzo, Black, Breeze, Ricochet, Johnny Gargano, and Pete Dunne. I have six on here, too. I only had four, but I had my two backups, so I guess I've got six. Okay, there we go. We're evened up. In my world, since 205 Live 
is only an hour. This is going to be my feature show. This is going to be the best show of all three of them. You took Enzo to sell tickets because he's a star. I'm putting Finn Balor on 205 Live. He's going to be my centerpiece of 205 Live. Opposite of Finn Balor. Headline, headline. Finn Balor walks out. (laughs) Yeah, right. We got to redo this contract structure if we're going to pull this off. Number two, opposite of Finn Balor. I'm putting Adam Cole. Adam Cole versus Finn Balor is your main event program going forward for the next 10 fucking years. So start building up here at 205, then you're saying. Yep. You know, get get a hot run out of there, and then you can transition. The stars of of tomorrow. The heavyweight brands. Next, I'm going to have Johnny Gargano, and then I'm going to put Aleister Black, Hideo Itami, and Andrade Cien Almas. That's my 205 Live 6, and that show would be awesome. Well, that'd be all right. Not as good as mine, but I'm sure it would move some, some, some numbers. Well, I mean, you got Tyler Breeze on your show, so I'm going to watch it. Yeah, see, I got you. I already got you hooked. Yeah, I mean, and we're we're actually going to let him wrestle. uh, The one that I really want to explore on your list is Ricochet. Um, I had Ricochet in consideration for Two Hundred Five Live. However, I think I would make Ricochet my face of NXT, at least for a while. Ricochet's twenty nine years old, I believe. Just wrapped up with Lucha Underground last night. The clock is now ticking. Ninety days. I think he, that we're going to see Ricochet in a WWE ring in 90 days. A lot, I, I can see where you're going with it, and believe me, I would get uh, down with your, with your idea 100%. The logic where I was at here is that he's just not regulated to 205 here, exposure-wise. Oh, agreed, agreed. I think, I gonna, think you got to get, get Ricochet on TV. you got to get him on TV. However you do it on Monday nights as well. Yep. Ricochet. If you have not had a chance to see Ricochet, he's also Prince Puma in Lucha Underground had his last match in Lucha Underground last night against Johnny Mundo. And it was incredible. And you get the shot of Prince Puma unmasking and walking out because his career is now over after he loses to Pentagon Jr. I don't know the status of Lucha Underground. I don't know yeah, what in the hell they're going to do. I've heard different rumors if they're going to get picked up for that for that next season or going forward, but it's just so their production costs are astronomical. It was one hell of a cliffhanger. I'll give them that. They finished up that show last night really, really well. As for Ricochet, Prince Puma, whatever you want to call him, he's definitely WWE bound. I completely believe that. I think he needs some time in NXT, though. I love me some Prince Puma. I like me some Ricochet. I think he can hide a lot when he's underneath of a mask. They're not going to do that in NXT, though. He, when it comes to facial expressions and especially his promo work, it's just not good. We've seen a lot of guys come in from Lucha and fall flat because they just can't get the WWE psychology down. And I'm afraid that's what's going to happen with Ricochet. I'm afraid it's just going to fall flat. Once you get past that, holy shit, he just did a 630. 
Well, how about this? I'll meet you in the middle of the road here on Ricochet. Because we, we each listed six, and we've only got an hour-long show, so we can, give, we can give someone some time off. We start him in NXT, but then we get him ready to be that next big boom for us in the cruiserweight. Of course, when Ricochet does sign is when I do expect the signing of Blanchard as well. I think that's a package deal. I also had that in mind when I listed both of these, both of them, and I've got plans for, for each of them. If they don't do Blanchard and Flair in the next couple of years at WrestleMania, totally miss the mark. Tell that story. Almost verbatim, tell that story. Now, see, I would almost, if Starcade ever gets true legs under it and moves beyond a live event, man, wouldn't that be a great headliner at a Starcade? Wow. Flair and Blanchard? Yeah, that would be great. I'd pay 999 yen for that. So anything else here on our, on our foundation stuff, our casting? I don't think so, man. I, I think both of these shows are already better. I think the thing that's the most interesting is the people that we neither one of us have on the show. Neither one of us have Dean Ambrose anywhere. But we, have, we both have Big E. Yeah, and, it, and you know, a lot of this, as I, as I was writing my, my list out, I went back through and it occurred to me that I didn't have Ambrose anywhere. And it, you know me, I mean? I go way back, I am an Ambrose fan. But in all honesty and, and good judgment, I couldn't find anywhere to, to put him as one of the staples of one of these brands. Well, and that's the thing with Ambrose is, okay, here we've got, so we did our top 20, basically, our top 20 talents. I think if you would ask anybody, is Dean Ambrose in your top 20 talents in the WWE, they would say yes. But when you really look at it and you start laying it out on paper, is he? When you really look at where you, where you need role players and you have to fit positions, when you're casting a show. I think he just falls into... Now, that's not saying that he is gone from the company. No, no, not at all. He's just not one of the featured acts. He's just a mid-carder, and if you need someone to float up every now and to put one of these guys over, then so be it. For God's sake, I have Bray Wyatt on my show, but I don't have Dean Ambrose. And that was another case for me. I have him nowhere. I have Bray Wyatt nowhere. Well, the, the Wyatt character is just so damaged. I don't know what's going on with Bray Wyatt. And I think it's one of those cases where, I, I, you know, that, that they don't really even know what they had with it. I'm sure that Bray himself understood what he had with it. But in this year, he, you know, it's, it just didn't translate. It wasn't moving forward. I'm afraid that something is not right inside of that family. Bo Dallas hasn't been on TV in two weeks. Bray Wyatt's had pre-tapes the last couple of weeks. Wasn't on the show at all this week. I don't know if it's the divorce proceedings. No, 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 no. They, they broke the news on that. Oh, they did? Yeah, it's some kind of illness. Because JoJo wasn't there either. The one who broke it, I believe, was Labar. Oh, uh, yeah, here. Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas have reportedly been off WWE TV due to illness. Um, him and his real-life girlfriend, JoJo Offerman, also missed it. Who the hell was the ring announcer this week? It wasn't JoJo? No. Uh, 
one of the guys were filling in. Wow, I totally missed that. Uh, viral meningitis. Ooh, that doesn't sound good. That uh, doesn't sound yeah, like that, I'm planning on having a fight on Sunday either. Well, they're they're saying that they're still that they're still planning on moving forward with the match on Sunday. Hmm. Now that could throw you know a kink into these plans of what this actually you know we might just get more of a freak sideshow than an actual match between them. We might get more of a match than a freak sideshow too. If they were planning on doing a whole bunch of crazy ass pre-tape shit. It'll be interesting to see how this match is booked to see if it just kind of comes off as a clusterfuck or if there, there was some kind of an idea of where they were going with it that just failed an execution that we can say, oh, well, had Bray been around for three weeks, it would have helped. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. Well, I'll tell you what. I guess a little plug real quick. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. But for everyone out there, listen, we're going to have another edition of Poolside Booker coming up this weekend. And I, I got to tell you, looking looking at this match, man, it's a difficult one to book. This is going to be a tough show to book. That's for just, sure. You know, just this match in particular is going to be a tough one. So it's going to be very interesting to see what direction that the company actually goes in. All right. Anything else on our casting there? No, I think we're good on the casting. Let's move on to hit or miss. A big rundown couple of interesting uh, news and notes that we came across over the course of the last week. Bully Ray has evidently announced his retirement at Global Wars due to a injury. It sounds like he's having some concussion issues, which nobody ever wants to hear. Godspeed and thank you, Bully Ray, for everything that you have offered this business over the last 20 years. Thank you very much. I would say with it, you know, it's, it's always, we're talking about his career here. Yes, it's definitely a hit. It's, you never know if they're really ever stepping away. Does anyone ever, re, ever really retire from professional wrestling? But hopefully he definitely takes a serious step away. But, man, you really think, you know, people just, you know, they want to praise all the tag team work of the Dudley boys. But he was an, an incredible singles act, too. And when he transformed into that Bully Ray character, he was one of the hottest things going at the time, not just in... Total nonstop action in wrestling, wrestling in general. In wrestling in general, he was one of the hottest acts going. One of the most believable, too. To this day, I still call my phone the fire breathing Twitter machine. Love that and, shit. And you know, a lot of that that you don't see some of the younger talents get, he was old school. He believed it, he lived it. And when you got into his character, you believed it and lived it. What would you see? bully ray doing now what do you hope that he transitions into do you want to see him running a school do you well, want to see they still him have their schools they have the 3d academies right but do you want to see him on on site actually helping train these guys do you want to see him in a role like at nxt do you want to see him backstage as a producer alongside devon where where do you think bully ray would fit Inside the yeah, wrestling I, world. I think, I, think the, I think the sky is the limit for him. I mean, the guy's got one of the best wrestling minds ever. I don't think there's any question about that. Now, I would wonder, you know, it's not kind of what his old school mentality, if they would really want him or, you know, around the performance center when they're trying to craft these young minds into their cookie cutter performers. So maybe as a producer, he's out on the road with the established names and all that. 
But I, I could see him as a, as a great trainer down there for him. You know, I could see him just at his own school, just kind of floating around doing his whole, doing his own thing. I can tell you what, if I'm going to wrestling school, I can tell you where I'm not going. Bully Ray's school. You know why? Because you're going to get the shit beat out of your son. I bet you that is a hardcore training class. But I bet you anybody that comes out of there, they're going to be ready to go. They're going to be ready to work. All right, what we got next? CM Punk training for his next UFC fight. Hit or miss. Man, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm still going to go with a hit here. You know, the guy's chasing. He's chasing a dream. He's trying to, you know, show that he's more than what people just perceive him as. Hey, and for UFC, I, there's still money to be made there, I believe. You know, even how poorly the actual fight went last time, the sales were through the roof. They could probably bounce back. You show that he's improved a little bit here. They haven't announced an opponent yet or anything, have they? Not to the best of my knowledge. Okay. As soon yeah, as they do, we'll let you know. Yeah, there's still money to be had there. Good for him getting up there, chasing a dream. I, I would say, though, if, if this fight ends up anything like the last one, you know, it's time to put that dream to bed and move on to something else. I'm going to go with a hit only because of the business aspect of it. It's going to draw a bunch of money. People will pay to see Punk get his ass whipped. If Punk happens to win, awesome. But Punk, people will pay to see Punk get his ass whipped every time. Every time. Also of interesting note, Wade Keller said a couple of weeks ago that there has been a little bit of talk back and forth between Punk and the WWE. And the signs are softening just a little bit. There's no return imminent. I still don't expect it. It's, if it does happen, it's not going to be anytime soon. But evidently, they are talking. Kurt Angle teases a women's elimination chamber match. I, I can't even say that with a straight face, Rick. Hit or miss. Oh, what, what are you going here? Miss. I have no desire to see the women's roster as it stands right now locked inside of that monstrosity. I hate the elimination chamber. I don't even want to see a men's elimination chamber match ever again, let alone a women's elimination chamber match. I, I'm going to shock the world here. You have got gonna, to be gonna, shitting me. I am going to go with a hit. Why in the fuck are you going to call this a hit? I, I'm not opposed to the women getting these opportunities. I want reason behind them. So if we get a good, a good reason where there are enough names that are hungry for that, that can have that opportunity, then go for it. And this, this isn't, and I still stand opposed to my Royal Rumble, women's Royal Rumble idea. I'm still opposed to that. But in the case of the Elimination Chamber, they've already run this damn, con, this damn gimmick into the ground. Do you like it's the Elimination Chamber? Do you like it as a match? No, I do not. I, I just think it's failed in concept. I've never cared for the match. It's going to be a part of, of WWE. It's going to be there. If they can get it into an arena, it's going to be there every year. And if, if they're going to happen to, to force one on us, just out of nowhere, then, yeah, let's mix it up a little bit here. 
And hold on, go back to the series. You said with you said with the current roster, I think they they have plenty enough talent to go in there and pull off a a successful. If you put both rosters together, maybe. I don't see either show having the depth to pull it off. No, you would need to manipulate your rosters a little bit and get and get the best talent involved there. Yeah, I just don't well, see huh? it. I just don't see it. You're going to end up with hey, Alicia you're... Fox inside of the fucking elimination chamber. I'm happy I'm rolling audio on this. You got you got a dual branded pay-per-view coming up. You're throwing brands against each other anyway. Throw, do it at Survivor Series. Wait till next year. Do it at that Survivor Series. Build to it with a decent story of why all these women went in this thing. Give me something. I, I'm going to go with a hit here. I think, And it's going to sell. People are going to eat it up because they, they love, for no reason at all, just throwing women into these matches. By next year at Survivor Series, we're going to have women's war games. So WWE 2K18 is out. Rick, are you a video gamer? Uh, the only video game systems that I have are the NES and the Super NES. I have both of those as well. I have the NES Classic and the SNES Classic. They're great. I actually have the ones from my childhood. You old motherfucker. So, yeah. Uh, so I, also yeah. Have, I also have an Xbox One and a PS4. So I don't have any of those. Um, I've played the new WWE 2K18. It's okay. It's got a lot of glitches. A lot of shit that they need to work out. One thing I did think was pretty cool. The Rock actually handpicked the soundtrack for WWE 2K18. And it features one of my favorite bands, Mayday. Along with Tech 9 Strange Music Represent. Great soundtrack. Unfortunately, there's only about five songs on there. And you get a loading screen every 15-20 seconds. In which you're listening to one of these, like... Five songs. So it gets a little repetitive on you. Gets old really quick. Shout out to my boys Mayday, though. Making some mainstream success. Scotty Tuhani's son did the worm at a live show. Did you see the video with this? I, I have seen it. He does it pretty well. Would you yeah, like to see the yeah, worm I, come back? I, I, I got my fill with a short video clip of his son making an appearance at an indie show so uh, I would not like to see it come back but I'll give him a hit for, for pulling it off in with perfect form it was definitely a hit it was as a one time thing it was great never want to see it again we recently celebrated the 20th anniversary of Degeneration X Rick do you consider DX a hit or a miss I think for the the true moments that we remember them for, absolutely a hit. There's the first two incarnations of the group. Oh, they were amazing. You know, they did so much, so much for, for the product and moving the company forward and, and for the business overall. You know, a lot of what, they, what they've done, we still see today with the Bullet Club and all that. And, you know, a lot of people, oh, they're just ripping them off. But, yeah, it's, you're, you're paying homage and you're, reminding, you're bringing people in, reminding them of, of better days gone by. This show must be Bizarro World, because first I got you saying that you want a women's elimination match, and now I'm going to give DX a miss. 
I think DX is one of the most overhyped and over-celebrated factions of all time. In real time, DX was nothing more than an answer to the NWO, and yeah, they had their moments. But when I look back at Hunter and Sean, I'm not going to remember them as DX. I'm going to remember them as Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Well, it, see, my favorite, my favorite version of them was after Sean. I liked when Triple H took took the helm. See, and to me, then yeah, it was I, nothing more than Hunter and a bunch of cronies. Shout out to my boy Sean Waltman, though. Is, which is most stable. You know, when it, was, when it was before that, it was Sean and his cronies. Well, not really. I mean, D-Generation X was more of a tag team than anything. They didn't really get in touch until their later years. And then, you know, those reunions, now those were just god-awful. Just god-awful. Just When you got into the PG era, when it was just more about you know, cheesy pops and moving merchandise. All about nostalgia. It, that's, and that's, and you got, you know, when they let Hornswoggle join or be their mascot or however they wanted to clarify it, but, yeah, but I like the early, the early years with the DX group. I, and I actually thought, I actually thought, you know, they, they were an answer to the NWO, but the NWO got stale so fast to me. And I, I thought at the time DX was doing it better. DX was more protected. Because they didn't just let anybody and their fucking brother join. Yeah, and that ended up being a huge downfall for the NWL. Completely agreed. Bullet Club's getting there. NXT War Games. NXT has announced that they're going to be playing War Games. For our listeners who don't know, Rick, why don't you inform them exactly what War Games is? The War Games came about in the 80s, and the purpose of the match was pretty much to let opposing teams and rivals take on the entire group of the horsemen. That was the main purpose behind what, it, what the match concept was supposed to be about. The match itself is dual rings side by side. Enclosed by one, one massive cage. Two competitors from each team begin the match. And then in predetermined time increments, and a, a member from each team will member, but they rotate. So team A will bring someone in. They'll get a two-on-one advantage for X amount of time. Then team B will have someone enter and even back the, even the odds back up. Now, NXT is going to do it a little bit differently because they're using three teams in this thing. And there was, there, there was a previous version that had the three teams. Who was um, in that match, do you know? Offhand? And this, this one was actually, I'm going to pull it right. This one was actually a total clusterfuck. This was when Russo uh, was, was, in, uh, w, was in charge of WCW. And it was actually, you had teams... But anyone that got the pin and it was for the title, there was so much going on. It was your typical Russo where it was just overbooked. So I'm guessing here you're probably going to have, and see what I, which not really clear is they've explained this is going to be WWE's version of War Games. So what everyone's really expecting here could be something completely different. Because I've heard, I've heard from, Many, many 
of individuals who were involved, who were behind the scenes, that had to deal with this. And it was always a nightmare. And watching them growing up, the double ring is a visual nightmare for the undercard. Well, and they never wanted to do it in WWE because it takes up so much room on the floor and it cuts into attendance so much. But I'm with you watching the old War Games matches. And I only remember watching maybe one or two of them live. But it was kind of like Survivor Series where it was just like, oh, yeah, this is that thing that we do every year. And I don't really care. From the get-go, because you had so many hot feuds with people individually dealing with the horsemen. And then when it kind of spun off from there, it was, yeah, we just have to start putting teams together for this. So it's going to be Sanity versus the Undisputed Era versus the Authors of Pain and Roderick Strong. We're still not sure exactly how the Authors of Pain and Roderick Strong get together as of the time of this recording, other than spoilers, which I don't necessarily want to get into. Undisputed Era insanity inside of a cage is interesting. I don't know if it necessarily calls for war games. I just feel like this is one of those things that they're busting out to kind of test the waters, see how it goes over, and if it's something they want to do on the main roster. Is that kind of the feeling you're getting out of this? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that they're just kind of look to, to drum up some interest, some easy interest. I, I do have to, uh, have to go on record and correct myself and apologize to one Mr. Russo as if he's ever going to hear my voice. But anyway, just in case you never knows what falls in anyone's lap, it, it, the three-team version happened in 1998. Okay, so that was before Russo. Yeah, so in 1998, WCW decided to try something different and converted War Games into a three-team, nine-man competition with the cage and entry format, but they allowed pinfalls. Yeah, usually in a usually in a War Games match, the pin it's either you wait till each team is in, and then it's by a submission or a knockout to win. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know what? I, I just I only want to semi apologize to Russo because when he actually came in in 2000, he gave us. War Games, Russo's Revenge, which introduced the three-tier cage. Oh, is that when David Arquette <laughs> won the fucking <laughs> yeah. title? No, it, not, I don't think it's the same match, but that's what we got. We got a three-tier cage there. Oh, that was the beginning of the end. That was the beginning of the end. So all, de- so all depending on what kind of rules or how they put a twist on here, you know, we could really see a, 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 a hell of a hard-hitting, thriller, you know, exciting moment for NXT. Or this could turn into a dud. I heard tickets are not selling well for TakeOver Houston, TakeOver War Games, whatever you want to call it. And I think part of that is because as it stands right now, Andrade Siena Almas is supposed to be taking on Drew McIntyre for the NXT Championship. I only bring that up because it was announced shortly before we started recording this, the day before NXT is going to be in San Antonio, and it is going to be Drew McIntyre taking on Adam Cole with Shawn Michaels as the special guest referee 
for the NXT Championship. How do you think that might affect war games? Is there any chance that they put Adam Cole over here? Because I think they are. I tell you what, it, man, it was it was kind of a pop moment to see that announcement. You start thinking, oh, what, what's going on here? And maybe they got something in mind. You know, maybe those there's ticket sales are kind of sitting in sitting in the old crawl there. The main event's not drawing. What do we do? Adam Cole, well, I don't, I don't, baby. I don't think the the main event is actually the the selling point of the show, but something's not selling. And why don't you go ahead and share with everyone out there? Because I think it's an amazing idea, kind of what you what you've laid out here. Here's my theory. I think Adam Cole wins the NXT Championship, and then at Takeover War Games, you end up with a triple threat of Adam Cole versus Drew McIntyre versus Andrade Cien Almas for the NXT Championship. That leaves Undisputed Era one guy short. Who could we fill in in that one spot, Rick? You're putting in a, a very intriguing storyline to unfold over the weekend. I would tease that it's Roderick Strong. They, they've already started hyping on NXT television. The little bit of tension there. Is Roderick Strong going to be the third man? But I don't think that's the direction they're going to go. They're going to put Roddy with the Authors of Pain. And I think you get the debut of your third man, Donovan Dijak, who Adam Cole brings in to match up against Killian Dane. If you saw this week's episode of NXT, Adam Cole's planning something. He realized there's nobody on Undisputed Era that can put up power with Killian Dane. They need Donovan Dijak as the muscle. I think that's where this story goes. I think Adam Cole becomes your new NXT champion. Shawn Michaels raises his hand. He's got the belt in the other hand, standing over the top of a lifeless Drew McIntyre. And that image is what you build the next 10 years of TV off of. Adam Cole and Drew McIntyre. What do you think? Hey, man, I'm down. It, it would get me highly invested. And you can move this thing through from NXT to, to Raw to, to SmackDown. Like you said, it has legs to run for a while. The new John Cena and Randy Orton. Adam Cole, Drew McIntyre. I could see that for a decade. I could see that for a decade. And you could see either guy in either role. Regardless of who's the face and who's the heel. You could see it going either way. I just don't think Almas versus McIntyre has that feeling of an NXT TakeOver Championship event. Andrade did have a fantastic match against Gargano. I guess that would have been two weeks ago now. Correct. And then this week, we had Andrade's advocate, Thea Trinidad, approach Drew McIntyre and ask for an NXT Championship match. That promo was fantastic. McIntyre is on his character right now. Everything he said, you can buy into it full scale. Everything from him getting signed at 21, getting released from the company, working his ass off to make it back to the company to become NXT champion. 
you can buy into it. It's a story that you can understand. I just don't feel like he's an NXT champion. He feels like a guy that belongs on the main roster who's just sitting in NXT right now. Also on NXT TV recently, we've had the Leo Rush debut. Leo Rush came out to a massive pop. The little bit of offense that he got was awesome. What do you see the ceiling at? For Leo Rush. I mean, Leo Rush is all of what? 5'6", 5'7", 120 pounds? The pop he got there was surprising with that smarter crowd because, man, did he take it on the chin. He took an ass whooping. You know, in the, in the internet wrestling community. And I've, I've never really seen anything on it. I'm, I'm going to go with a miss. I think he's going to fade real quick. I've never been impressed in anything that he's done. I like some of his work in ROH. I know uh, some of the work that he did up at AAW was fantastic when he was doing this Blackheart character. I've just never been real big on Leo Rush. Uh, to me, he's 205 Live personified. I, he does that Mysterio thing where he's so short he can bounce off the middle rope. I just can't see Vince getting behind Leo Rush. No, I don't think you're going to see anything. I mean, he'll eventually make his way to 205, and I don't... I wouldn't be surprised if he's out of this company in within a year and a half. But boy, that NXT universe really took to him. Really took to him. Yeah, maybe they're just fucking idiots. Well, no, I'm just joking. I, there's I a lot of people that would agree with you on that one, Rick. I just think it was just that initial pop. I think he's going to wear off real quick down there. And I'm going to say he's out of the company in a year and a half top. So I guess that's probably about as big as a miss you could ever give anybody, right? Yeah, I think that's about the epitome of a mess. Kavita Devi has signed. Uh, for those who don't know, she's the Indian woman who competed in the Mae Young Classic. Her YouTube views are through the roof because, you know, that's all the people in India do is watch YouTube, evidently. Rick, do you like this signing? I, I was not that impressed with her inside of the Mae Young Classic. I'll tell you what, we're... we're we're completely flipping from a little pipsqueak to, I mean, this girl's got a build on her. Uh, five, nine, didn't really f- find a weight on her, but she's got a background. Let's see here. I got, let me pull up some information on it. I wanted to make sure I had everything. She's a uh, weightlifting and powerlifting is where her background is. And I thought she was pretty agile for her for her build. I've, I went and checked out some of her work outside of the Mae Young Classic. She needs a lot of work. Don't get me wrong there. She's going to need some time performance performance center. She's going to need that time in NXT. You know, but hopefully within a year or two, she can come up and, and add some real power and diversity to the Raw and SmackDown women's divisions. Do you think she gets the Jinder Mahal push? As an Indian I would, woman. I, I think by that time, you're going to see those types of pushes fade fade away. Because we're going to already have such a diverse roster anyway. And a lot of those acts and just singling out an area, I think, will go to the wayside for the most part. Well, I guess what I mean by the Jinder Mahal push is she just going to get pushed to the freaking moon when she's not ready for it. Are they going to put her on TV before she's ready for it? Because I agree with you. In the work that I've seen out of her, she's nowhere near TV ready. I would, I would hope not. 
they have to have the sense to say, in this case, no, she is not ready for this right now. And Jinder, and Jinder was is an experienced in ring vet. Now we could we can we could have the argument was he ready for it at that time and all that, but he knew how to handle himself there. He was used to the system, all that. She doesn't have any of that behind her. You know, right now, what they could have with her if they if they ran her out within six months just to try to get her up there for any potential TV expansion or further tours in India. I mean, it would just be asinine. They're just throwing money away. I think they're just asking for rejection from the fans at that point. Well, just a little bit of a side question to kind of twist us here. You know, how they are presenting gender and really pushing, you know, a foreign market. When do you see the backlash that you offend your established reliable market? You know, I'll use, I'll use for an example, like, like the NFL. They're seeing you know, it right now. They're down 17%. Well, and a lot of that started, you know, I'm not even, I'm not going to get into the political aspect of this, but a lot of the, the ratings have been declining for years. And when you really look at those numbers, a lot of that is because chunks of when they go across seas and play those games, people are not getting up so early in the morning to watch a football game. Yep. Well, that's no different than these people who keep posting these asinine pictures of the attendance at a SmackDown crowd when the doors open at 4 o'clock on the West Coast, and this was taken 10 minutes before the show started. Yeah, you've got people who are stuck in traffic, or they're slow at work, they couldn't get there that early for it. Yeah, but show, me, show, show me a picture 10 minutes before the show ended. I don't want to know what the crowd looked like 10 minutes before the show started. People are getting beer. They're taking a piss. They're in traffic. They're trying to wrangle up their kids. It's 4 o'clock. And a lot of those pictures, you know, for over the last year, they have spent a lot of time out west. Now, I'm not, to, I'm not trying to defend that. That's that not doing their attendance fine. numbers any favors. Yeah, I don't think we're sitting here trying to pretend that there isn't an issue with attendance numbers because there obviously is. But I think it's being greatly over-exaggerated. At a certain point, my friend Drew asked me the other day, well, why do people take these pictures? And I said, the same reason that they wear bullet club shirts to WWE shows because they're dicks, Drew, they're dicks. My match of the week is going to come from Lucha Underground Trace, Ultima Lucha Trace. There were a lot of matches to choose from on this show. I'm going to go with the main event. Prince Puma versus Johnny Mundo for the Lucha Underground Championship, and then later, Prince Puma versus Pentagon Jr. for the Lucha Underground Championship, career versus career. Fantastic match, full of crazy, insane spots that you're not going to see anywhere else. The only thing I can say about it is, holy shit, go watch that match. So that's it for Episode 8. Uh, coming up on Saturday, as Rick said earlier, we've got our TLC, Around the Pool Edition. Rick, have you started working on your show yet? I've started laying it out. I I think I have my my match order in place. Um, I know we've we've had some different news breaking on the event that I have to work in here, and I, I might finagle something a little surprise in for everyone, but I will tell you, top to bottom, this is a difficult card to work with. So I would encourage everyone out there to tune in to, to see what see what the hell we can come up with. I was bullshitting with Jersey Mike last night. 
And I said, what I think I might do for the show is have every match start and then halfway through the match have Braun come out and just destroy both people <laughs> and just do that for the whole show until it gets to Emma and Asuka. And then Braun comes out and Braun's not ready for Asuka and Asuka takes him out. I got a good laugh out of it. I think he thought I was being serious for a minute. It's pretty entertaining. So we got that going on Saturday. That'll be up on Saturday. It'll be up uh, Saturday evening, Sunday morning for your listening enjoyment before TLC. Uh, we'll also have out, uh, we're going to do a, kind of like we've done in the past, we'll get back on track of those. I just revamped a couple things on them. Just a run through, little slideshow and announcement, just running down the card for you. Uh, if you want to check that out, that'll be available on Sunday as well. Be sure that you follow the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod. We actually kind of use our Twitter now. Find the show on Facebook, backslash Hitting the Marks. Drop us an email at hittingthemarks at gmail.com. Make sure that you subscribe to Hitting the Marks on iTunes or Podbean so that you never miss an episode because you never know when we might drop one. Also, if you have a couple minutes, go in, leave us that five-star Meltzer review. You can also now find and subscribe to the bullet points on YouTube simply by searching Hitting the Marks. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. Rick, how do the stalkers find you? As always, they can, they can find me over on Twitter, at TheRealRBV. The best place to catch up with me so we can interact is on Facebook or the WrestleZone discussion group. We've got an exciting weekend going on. We've got a lot of interactive a lot of interactive you know, activities, threads happening. Uh, we've got coming up the finals of our Bobby Heenan Family Classic. What we've done there is we, we've, we had 16 of the, the top talents that, that Mr. Heenan has ever led into the ring, and they've battled it out. Right now we're wrapping up our, our semifinals. Our semifinal one features Ric Flair against Mr. Perfect. On the other side, Nick Bockwinkle against Stan Hansen. The winners of those matches are going to be announced later on tonight. So the finals are going to happen over the weekend, so we want everybody to get out there and vote for those. And then we also have our WrestleZone discussion group, Pick'em Challenge, which will go, go live tomorrow afternoon. It's pretty simple, folks. We lay out the TLC card. You pick the winners and rank them by how confident you are in your selection. We also got some bonus points in there. We keep a running total throughout the year. It's a lot of fun. We, we usually have around 50 participants. Everybody's in there talking trash. We've got some side bets going on. So once again, if you want to jump in on if any of that and all the other great conversation, head on over to Facebook to the WrestleZone Discussion Group. Above all else, thank you very much for listening. That's it for today. Talk to you peeps, freaks, and geeks on Sunday. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! me. I don't give a f- I'm your bad guy. Stop, stop, go.
fucked your bitch and I lied. She was at home with me last night. I'll be your bad guy. We'll be so bad, guys. That's right. Violet.